Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, folks, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guests for this episode? Hi, Grant. Well, I'm very excited today. We're going to be speaking about fiber-based packaging specifically. Fiber-based packaging is gaining ground as brand owners are considering different material options to meet their sustainability targets. And today we've got two special guests who will be weighing in on the current paper-based packaging trends and sharing some market insights and some success stories. Our first guest is Anne Usatala. She is the Product Safety and Sustainability Director at Metzaboard. Anne has got a strong background in the paper, pulp, and paperboard industry with over 20 years' experience in sales and marketing, overall supply chain, and sustainability in this industry. So an excellent track record to be speaking on this topic. She is currently heading Product Safety and Sustainability Operations at Metzaboard Corporation based in Finland. And she's coming to us all the way from Finland this afternoon. We also have with us... Brad Partington. He is the general manager for packaging at Ball and Doggett. He has had almost two decades of experience in a myriad roles across leading paper merchant and distribution companies and is now dedicating his time to the packaging industry. Music to my ears. He is passionate about bringing sustainable packaging solutions into the Australasian region. So a very, very warm welcome to you, Anne, all the way from Finland and to you, Brad. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Lindy. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, Brad, I'm going to kick off with you, if you don't mind. I'd like to um, set the context by asking you to give us a brief overview of the Ball and Doggett business in the Australasian region. Thanks, Lindy. Um, Ball and Doggett, um, the original entity, BJ Ball, started in Sydney in 1918. So we have over 100 years of experience um, in the in the Australian market. Uh, we are a traditional paper merchant business, um, but over the years we've been through many mergers and acquisitions. Um, particularly in, in recent times, and we've we've slowly moved towards an innovator and supplier to the print and media sector um, and communication sector in Australia, New Zealand. So we've expanded from just being a your, your traditional paper merchant to to being vastly more and offering vastly more to the market. Uh, in 2019, um, we were 100% um, purchased by Japan Pulp and Paper, or the Oval Group, um, who was obviously a Japanese business, um, and that's opened us up to a global network uh, designed to source materials from all over the world and utilise our merchant footprint to supply a local market. The core business of Ball & Doggett um, is our print and packaging divisions. Um, however, we're constantly diversifying into different markets um, and looking at new opportunities in 2020, through COVID, we saw a huge demand in packaging, roll label and products in those markets. So it really strengthened our packaging footprint and it's really put us on a clear direction on where we need to go in future. And the company's invested very heavily in that. And a lot of that has been driven by the sustainable packaging demands of our market. Well, thanks for that. That is quite an extensive uh, portfolio that you're covering. And um, it seems to me that one of the important links, of course, and which is why we have Anne with us today, is your relationship with Metzaboard. So, Anne, if you can give us a, a brief overview of the Metzaboard business and also explain your relationship with Ball and Doggett in the region. Thank you, Lindy. Um, yes, Metzaboard is or a Finnish origin company. Uh, which has operations in Finland and Sweden today. Uh, it's a stock listed company and um, 
uh, we are number one actually in Europe in folding uh, virgin fiber folding box boards and uh, we are globally also number one in top uh, white craft liners so that's uh, th that's where we work we are working purely with fresh fiber based uh, paper boards and um, our mission to our global customers, because even though we only have production in Finland and Sweden, we are working globally. Uh, our customers are, are uh, present globally. And uh, our, our mission is to offer our customers packaging solutions uh, based on and respecting nature. Also, one, one of the things uh, which is very important for Metsa Board is to be um, one of the leaders in sustainability. So, uh, sustainability is really a key topic in all our operations. When it comes to Ball and Dogget, uh, this is actually a, they are a long-time uh, customer, a major merchant customer for us in the Australian and, and uh, New Zealand market. And um, we have had, as Metsa Board, we have our uh, sales office in, in Australia, which has been working uh, locally for many years and have very good contacts with Ball and Dogget. And um, when it comes to Metsa Board uh, overall in in, in this in, in your market areas I think that we have about 25% of the market uh, uh, share in, in folding box board and uh, solid bleached boards so virgin fiber paper boards okay well that gets, gives us a great background and against this backdrop let's move now into our discussion on sustainability and the way that it is supported by the move to fiber based packaging. We have seen the push against plastics, in particular single-use plastics for certain applications, and um, a resulting what some trend watchers have called a fiber-based frenzy. And there, there is a not noticeable increase in the adoption of paper-based packaging to replace plastics where possible and where applicable. Now, um, in Australia, we have got the, um, well, we've got the Australian National Packaging Targets marked as 2025. That's the time frame that we're working towards. These uh, targets are managed by the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization, or APCO as we know it. So um, I wanted to ask you, Brad, what your views are on the APCO sustainability targets and also how your customers are reacting to these announcements. Yeah, thanks, Lindy. I think it's a great... Um a great thing that we have a corporate body setting these targets. I think we've, as a market, we've always had these ideas or these goals to move towards these sustainability targets, but we just haven't had anything in structure in place um, and an actual target to, to meet. So I think as society, it's really good that we we have something to follow and something to work towards. Um, the recent announcement of the ANSPAC plastics pack is also welcome to us. Um, keeping in mind that Ball and Doggett have a plastics division. So we, we definitely love supplying plastics to the market, but I think it's all about changing the behaviours of, of the market and, and the consumers and, and making them understand the right form of packaging for each product. Uh, we do find in, in a lot of cases that products are just specified for the wrong application. So I think the way that we are, are changing behaviour is, is really important to make sure that the right products are being used and there is that circular economy in place. 
Um, as far as our market and, and how our customers are reacting, um, like you said, we had a frenzy at first. It went quite crazy in the, in the initial stages. Um, we felt like many people thought they needed to react really quickly, um, which was great. Um, however, I think over time, the behaviours changed slightly uh, and we're seeing more long-term goals being set rather than people trying to set these short-term goals and make change immediately, um, which I think is a bit more realistic. Um, and I feel like a lot of um, that the large organisations and corporates are really collaborating well together um, to reach that end goal, um, in particular the supermarkets, driving from their end back through the brands and, and through the converters, I think is really successful because it's, it's really showing that the big guys are leading the way and setting these targets and following the targets that have been set. Yeah, I think it's very important that we have that the way in from those big three supermarkets. So I call them big three. I kind of weigh Aldi in with Coles and Woolies now um, because they are very uh, proactive in their sustainability changes that they're driving forward. Now, um, we mentioned that the time frame is 2025. There's some bold and very ambitious targets um, that have been set. And what's your view on, on all of these changes? Yeah, you actually, you, you, you already uh, used my words, what I was going to say. I, I think the target set, I mean, uh, the, the target to have all this done by 2025 is a very ambitious target because uh, looking at the, some of the figures available today, for instance, for, for recycling rates uh, in, in, in your area. But on the other hand, this is something which has to take place and, uh, it's something we, we need to do. If we think of, for instance, the climate warming, the, the rate with which it has been accelerating, we definitely need to do something. Also, I think um, we, we were all woken up uh, because of the, the, the ban China put on, on importing waste, because that made all of us others uh, to, to, to need to consider what will we do with our waste. So we do need to find solutions for these. So in that sense, um, this, is the, this is the development we have to take. And, and um, it was interesting to listen to Brad explaining how it all started uh, uh, or went off in, in Australia because it was uh, very much the same thing in, in Europe, where I am based. Uh, when uh, EU Commission launched its uh, plastic strategy in 2018, Everybody wanted to, to have uh, fiber-based packaging materials and, and plastic was bad. But uh, of course, this is not the case. Uh, both materials are needed. But since then, just like Brad explained for your area, also in Europe, it has, the situation has in a way calmed down. But still, of course, um, Big brand owners are considering uh, what they can do to achieve their uh, their own ambitious uh, sustainability targets in replacing plastics or using more recycled plastics or finding other types of, of uh, packaging materials for for their products. Um, Perhaps then when considering what is actually needed to be able to make this change uh, I think it is important to to remember that this is something that which cannot be done by one party alone, but uh, there uh, different parties uh, in the society have to have to uh, take their role in 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 making things happen. So first of all, 
also in Europe, uh, like certainly in your area also, uh, the authorities have to see to that there, there are, there is the infrastructure for, uh, allowing improved collection, sorting and recycling. Uh, then there are, of course, the, the businesses who have to reconsider how to produce, what type of packagings to produce in the future. How can they make their packagings more um, sustainable, uh, more easily recyclable? And, uh, and then last but not least, something which I think uh, is not perhaps... Uh, stressed enough is us consumers overall because we are the ones who at the end are are doing the 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 sorting of waste at our homes we are the ones who can influence quite heavily in in how these issues can be developed so brad just over back to you now what are the behaviors you're seeing from your customers when it comes to this plastic to fiber movement yeah, the behaviours, as I mentioned earlier, everyone wanted to change everything instantly. Um, so we're, we're starting to see that calm down a little bit. Um, there has been some low-hanging fruit, um, which is what we've been focusing on. Uh, and when I say low-hanging fruit, I mean things that we can initially change. Uh, and we've been involved in many projects, some that have hit a wall and we, we haven't pro um, progressed with, but there's others where we've been able to make an initial change straight away. And the benefit to everyone and the feeling afterwards has just been really good to know that we've, we've all done something really good and, and achieved something together that um, that is pushing us in the right direction. Uh, but then we're also seeing some other... Um, some other projects we're working on that are taking, you know, we can see an outcome coming in five or six years. So although we've set these targets for 2025, there may be some things that we may not transition for a, a long period of time. But the most important thing is that we be patient and we all work together and we just keep moving towards those goals. And through that time, we may zigzag. We might find other uh, opportunities that become more reasonable or more effective that we move in a different direction. Um, and that's the exciting thing that we're constantly learning over that time. Um, with Ball and Doggett, um, working with them has been a real benefit for me because we're, we're, we're learning so much and we're using our sister companies to find out what's happening in other markets um, and, and working with a lot of innovative mill groups and, and other companies to develop products suitable for our market. And in some cases, they're, they're products that we would never have thought of before because we're so far removed from the rest of the world. Um, but in, in a lot of cases, it's starting with a simple idea and developing into a different product or prototype at the end of the day, which is really exciting. Yes, I think we have to remember that as the ideas are developing and as you're developing projects, at the same time, the technology is developing and people like Metzabord are also evolving the products that they can bring to the market. So, and there's a huge call for a behavioral shift right now um, in the initial stages, but what, what are going to be the next steps? I, I think uh, the seeing the regulation uh, in, in these um, topics increasing constantly i think the the uh, we will continue on the same path the, the 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 material producers will try to find to develop new materials which uh, which are more renewably based so based on renewable raw materials which will be uh, more uh, following the the in a way, the circular economy principle. So, in a way, trying to keep uh, produced materials which are uh, easily materials uh, which are easily recyclable. This to keep the materials 
in the loop, so not to uh, to to avoid any um, landfill uh, with the materials, because we, as we know, the the key principles with the with the circular economy is to try to keep the materials uh, in the circulation as long as only possible, and um, perhaps one example of what can be future developments in different regions is uh, one of the um, cooperations that was launched in Europe one year ago. Uh, it is actually, uh, it started um, with material producers, fiber-based packaging material producers uh, and developing the, those. But uh, very quickly, there have been parties uh, from different parts of the value chain. So brand owners, converters, um, material producers, recyclers, even research institutes uh, getting into this organization. And, and we are now with this whole value chain participating in, in, the, in the work. We are trying to develop uh, packaging materials, uh, which, um, which are uh, easier recycled. We are we are trying to create standard European-wide standards for recycling. We are trying to create uh, uh, European-wide um, standards for how to design a packaging to be to make it as uh, easily recyclable as possible. So this type of cooperation to reach the targets uh, that we have set in Europe, because also in Europe we have similar type of of. Uh, of sustainability targets like your plastic plan in, in Australia. The, the target of this uh, uh, organization, association called for Evergreen, the target is to have 90% of all fiber-based packaging materials recyclable by 2030. Well, that is also quite an ambitious target, but I think certainly achievable in the fiber sector. Um, based on what you've you've described, all the initiatives, the collaboration across the value chain that you're having there. So, Brad, what can we do to help manage unsustainable packaging? Oh, Lindy, I think the, the most important thing is, is coming back to educating the consumers. I feel like um, we've been living this life for such a long time where we haven't really taken much notice of, of what we're putting into the bins and what is going into landfills. So I think that's the most important point is to start with the education and, and getting the message out there. And I think we're doing a, a pretty good job at the moment. Um, but the more we can promote this um, this issue, the better it's going to be. Um, I took a point from one of your previous podcasts, Lindy, where you mentioned the problem is like Mount Everest and we're chipping away with a toothpick. And I thought that was really good because it just seems like we are just so far below the problem um, but there's some really small things that we can do to change our behaviour and we'll start moving in that right direction really quickly. Um, I, th I think in Australia, um, one of the problems we have is is knowing how to separate materials properly. Um, I do a lot of travel um, with work or I did pre-COVID and going to different regions, just you, you take notice of how they collect their waste and, and what people do with their waste and also how things are served and presented in supermarkets. And I feel like in Australia, we are just all over the place with everything we do and with our local waste collection um, agencies. Um, I don't think we have a lot of trust in, in the fact that they are disposing of products properly, um, which is now starting to change because governments are being a bit more open about what they're doing and who they're using and trying to educate um, the, the homeowners and the, the tenants on, on how to manage their waste. So I think that's a, that's a really good step that we're taking, something we need to push a lot more. Um, and I think for the consumers also understanding what resources are 
resources are available to us. Um, so things such as uh, container deposit schemes, which are available in certain states and territories, um, specialised recovery programs such as Red Cycle, uh, which is offered through the supermarkets, um, and there's certain coffee cup and LDPE collection points, which I've noticed at some of the, uh, the fast food outlets. Uh, or even something as simple as some of the corrugated recovery centres where you can take your old corrugated boxes and give them back to the corrugated company so that you know that the products are going back to the right place where they're going to reuse and they can't get mixed in with other types of recycling. Um, I mentioned before about the, the recent ANSPAC announcement, and I think this is a really great initiative as it's designed to ensure the packaging we do use is reusable, recyclable or compostable and, and trying to make sure that if we are using plastic and we do know there is a need for plastic, um, that it is circulating and being used as many times as possible. Um, and also utilising labels such as the Australasian Recycling Label, or ARL as it's known, um, which guides consumers on how to manage waste um, and, and where to put their products. And, and you will notice in a lot of the supermarkets and other um, fast food companies, for instance, that they are using this ARL guide on a lot of their packaging, which is really helpful um, for the consumers who are time poor and just need a quick guide on where to put the waste. I also feel the Australian government um, seemed really committed to this cause um, and Anne mentioned earlier that a lot of it was driven by China's decision to stop taking our waste um, and I think we've been forced into this position um, and the government sees the need to, to want to improve our collection process. So in the past, our recovery rates have been documented as being quite low um, and we are improving, but we are only a part of the way there now. So we need to make... Um, we can make some, some changes quickly if we all work together and all understand what the end goal is. Um, I think at the moment, um, just in, in closing in that statement, we, we although it seems like we're a long way away, I feel like we're in a much better position now than we were 10 years ago. Um, and I do find that the younger generation, I have young kids myself, and I feel like they understand more, they, they care more for the environment and they're already educated at a young age on how to manage this and what impact they can have. So I think that's really, really good. They might be able to educate other generations um, and teach us how to do the right thing. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good summary, really, of the Australasian situation, especially um, looking at the differences regionally in Australia in terms of our infrastructure and collection, but also government's push behind this. Um, it's been really pleasing as a packaging journalist um, to cover this area at the moment. Is It's a very exciting time for us. Um, we're seeing so many great new initiatives, so much funding going into the sector, fantastic collaboration projects and circular economy top of mind with all um, stakeholders in the value chain. So that's been fantastic. So Anna, I would like to come back to you now. I'm really interested to know a little bit more about METSA's focus as a manufacturing business. Can you just give us um, an outline of a few more of your missions and goals? Thank you, Lindy. Yes, um, as I already mentioned, uh, our products are based on fresh fibers uh, and uh, perhaps a very natural reason for that is the fact that our operations are located in Finland and Sweden. Uh, in both countries, forests cover most of the, the land area. So we have excellent uh, raw material resources available and uh, the, the forestry operations are sustainable. So in both countries, which are our main wood supply countries also, um, the forests grow much more than what is being annually harvested. And this is, this is of course, something that we want to see continuing. So um, fresh fibers from sustainably 
managed uh, forest is a key thing for us. We are, um, we are also, or our group is owned by more than 100,000 Finnish private forest owners. So that's uh, quite a nice uh, security for us on, on, on the wood supply. Uh, second thing, as I also mentioned, is that we want to be amongst the leaders when it comes to sustainability. And uh, in our company, we have had sustainability targets for, for years, for decades, I would say. We revised our uh, sustainability targets in 2019 because the previous period was coming to its end. And we set a lot of new challenging targets and, and we set an ambitious target to be fossil to overall, <laughs> totally fossil free from our operations as well as with our raw materials by 2030. And um, we, we think this is a very uh, ambitious target. And of course, then our customers might ask, what would that benefit us? Is there any, any benefit of that for us then? But of course, if we reduce our fossil CO2 emissions to zero from our own operations, it means, of course, that also our customers can uh, remarkably reduce their own emissions or the emissions from their own operations. Also, um, we have uh, committed ourselves to the Science-Based Targets Initiative. I don't know how well it is uh, known and spoken about here in, um, in, in your area, but it is a, a initiative which um, encourages companies, cities to, to engage themselves to reduce the, the fossil CO2 emissions to be able to meet the, the, the Paris Agreement goal of limiting the climate change to 1.5 degree uh, maximum. And uh, in this commitment, we were also, we had also to make a commitment uh, to reduce the, the emissions from our value chain because in our industry, the, the, the value chain emissions play quite an important role. So what we are, we are not only targeting to reduce our own uh, fossil CO2 emissions, but we are also asking our suppliers to, to commit, commit to similar reductions. So those are two key things for us. Then, of course, uh, Metzaboard uh, is known to be the pioneer in, in so-called lightweighting. So being able to produce lighter boards, um, having or without uh, sacrificing any technical properties. So our customers can choose a lighter board and, and produce their package from that. And this, of course, uh, being able to use lighter substances for a packaging, it gives our customers both an economical as well as an environmental benefit. As when being able to produce lighter boards, uh, we, we, we use less raw materials, we use less energy, water, when producing those. So those are, are things which are very important for us. Yes, and they're quite substantial and comprehensive. I think for the audience listening, perhaps if you could give us an example of a project that you've been involved in, where a shift in packaging due to sustainability was a key focus, um, that will make the, all of this theoretical talk quite accessible as well. Yeah, we, we have a lot of uh, different projects going on with our, with our customers. But uh, if we now uh, talk about uh, especially the, the, the plastics as an alternative uh, packaging material, we had uh, one of the big Finnish uh, 
fresh food, uh, vegetable producers contacting us because they wanted to uh, investigate the possibility to 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 replace their existing packaging, which was uh, recycled uh, polyethylene. So actually, the the packaging we are talking about is a cherry tomato packaging. Traditionally in Finland, they are made of of transparent polyethylene. Uh, and uh, this customer wanted to have a, a an alternative for that. And then we made a cooperation between this uh, this customer of ours with the Finnish Natural Resources Institute and and ourselves. And um, we have packaging designers in in our our group. So they made a suggestion uh, with a fiber based uh, or or a, a paperboard box uh, made of our. Uh, Prime FBBEB, which is our latest development. It's a, a, a type of barrier board, uh, a water-based barrier used in it, uh, which can easily um, replace plastics also in, in, in some other end-use areas where, uh, where a barrier against water or, or fat is needed. But in this case, uh, our designers uh, made a, a packaging we still had a small piece of plastic actually on the top of the lid just to be able uh, for the consumers to check the quality of the tomatoes and but that was also made so that it was very easily uh, peelable so it could be taken away after use and and uh, uh, sorted in in proper bins and uh, then this Natural uh, Resources Institute, they made actually evaluated two things with this packaging. They evalu- evaluated how the cherry tomatoes were able to be preserved in the a the, the plastic box versus the, the paperboard box. And uh, the cherry tomatoes were kept in those boxes for 25 days. And actually, according to their evaluation, uh, the cherry uh, tomatoes preserved at least as well in the, the, the paperboard box than what they were uh, preserved in a plastic box. Uh, and, and then the second evaluation, what they made was to calculate the, the environmental impacts of both boxes. And uh, they evaluated that the, the, the paperboard box actually had almost 70% lower environmental impacts than the, the plastic box, even though the plastic box was made from uh, recycled polyethylene. So those were very, two very, very conc- uh, concrete uh, results. Uh, Paper box uh, preserved the, the the fresh products equally well, and the paperboard box had actually seventy um, percent lower environmental impacts. And and uh, in combination with study, there was still a fourth party which actually made a consumer study, consumer perception study on the same packages. And um, it is very common in Europe, at least, that people, consumers perceive that fiber-based materials are more um, sustainable than plastics. And um, actually, in this study, the, the result was the same. So the consumers said that they prefer the paperboard uh, box 
there was a nice print on the box, so of course it looked also uh, quite nice uh, from from the image design point of view. And then uh, what was actually quite interesting was that they even said that they would be, because of the uh, more sustainability alternative, they would be uh, willing to pay slightly more for the cherry tomatoes in the fiber-based box than in the in the plastic box because they they felt that they were they were doing a a good thing so that was really an interesting case that we had and and of course the the replacement cannot be done for all products as already previously said during the correspond uh, discussion here but still uh, it can be done in many places and and it would be good to do it because it has an environmental benefit. Yes, certainly. I mean, the fresh produce market, um, when you're using board that has got the barrier properties you mentioned and that has the ability to have high-quality printed graphics, and then there's the consumer perception that it is a it is a better for the environment product. All those factors work together, and I can quite see why that was a successful case study. Now, Brad, how about you? Can you provide us an example of, of a project that you've been involved in where a shift in packaging um, due to sustainability was a key focus? Yes, definitely. We've, um, As I mentioned, we've had many projects we've been working on. Um, and mentioned about the fruit and vegetable packaging. So we've also worked with local converters on, on many projects in that front. And, and as Anne said, there's been some huge success there and some, some success that can transition quite quickly. Um, and also things like uh, your vegetable tags and plant tags that would historically be on a synthetic or a plastic grade, moving over to a biodegradable uh, coating on a, on a fibre-based product. So some little projects like that. Uh, one of the key projects that we, we worked on as a business um, was about the, the local, uh, sorry, the indoor signage at some of our local retail um, outlets. Um, a lot of the signage um, that was hanging from the roof or on aisleways in the um, in the shopping centres were made from PE or PP products, um, and we saw an instant um, opportunity to move those to a recycle uh, a recyclable fibre-based material. So we, we worked in collaboration with a lot of the um, the retail groups and also with the converters to actually produce a product using um, fibre-based board, um, like your Metza board, um, and produce a, a, f- a completely fibre-based product with a wet strength that can be hung inside the retail outlets um, in exactly the same format with exactly the same result. Um, in some cases, they often had a, a nicer print surface, um, so the image that was printed on there looked really good. Um, and we managed to take out a lot of unsustainable product from um, those retail chains um, just by doing that. And on top of that, we also worked with some of the waste collection companies to make sure that what we were doing was properly certified by these waste waste collection companies and were able to be managed and, and recycled properly. So that was a really good project we worked on because we started from the front to the finish um, and worked all the way through. Um, and it was something that was able to be shifted pretty quickly. So I think that was a really good result for us and um, and for the, 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 the market as well. Um, we've also worked with other um, consumers with meat and vegetable trays. Um, so we um, historically see plastic or polystyrene trays that your seafood or your meat can be stored on. Um, we've introduced some rigid boards or we've worked with local converters to, to laminate boards together to make rigid boards with various coatings um, and simply just taking out product that, that is unnecessary in some cases 
and replacing with fibre-based packaging solutions. Um, Also, on top of that, within our business, we've made some huge changes as well. So it made us really look at what we were doing internally and change some of our methods um, as a merchant business. A lot of our business is, is... built around bringing in mass product and storing in big sites and then distributing to smaller converters. So we might have one delivery that comes in that then goes out to 60 different distribution points and each of those 60 points need to be packaged. So changing our plastic wraps, our strappings, um, our use of pallets, so making sure that we're recycling pallets um, and anything like that um, and also the labels we use and the label programs, just, just having a look at our internal process and making sure that we were also making changes and, and not just telling people what to do and not following those channels ourselves. Well, thanks, Brad, and thanks, Anne. Those are fantastic examples that you've given us of real-life case studies of, of changes that you've made uh, for your customers and in your own businesses. The time has come for us to bring this to a wrap. So um, I'd like to give you both the opportunity to say some last messages to our audience. Anne, over to you. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, I, I think that the, the one of the key words uh, for the future is collaboration. Uh, we we need to work more together, different uh, different parties in the value chain, uh, to to develop um, to to reach the goals to to improve the recycling, improve the waste collection, uh, to do more um, to do more sustainable uh, packaging designs um, so that uh, not only the the recycling collection is improved but that the whole chain actually uh, uh, is making its all its efforts to to make the the recycling in a way the way of uh, acting according to the circular economy principles easier uh, it needs a lot of effort from, from authorities, as I already mentioned in the beginning, because they need to see to that there is the infrastructure available for acting what comes to the uh, collection, sorting and recycling. And, and, and then, of course, from the businesses, from the brand owners to try to find the most, most sustainable packaging solutions uh, uh, in the future. Because what we still need to remember is that the packaging is there to protect the product inside. So that is something we should not forget. Uh, if, if the packaging is not good, then the product gets wasted. And that, that is, of course, something that we, we don't want to happen. And then finally, us consumers to start behaving better than what we have done in the past. And you, Brad, how about some last words? Yeah, thank you, Lindy. I think we're moving in the right direction. Uh, I, I really think the uh, the promotion you're doing with the podcast is really good. We're all getting a great idea um, of, of what's happening out there and, and some of the wins that we've had and some of the projects that are being worked on. So I think if we keep that up, um, it helps us learn uh, and move in the right direction. Um, but although we're, we are getting some really great wins, I, I, I still feel there's a huge way to go. Um, I'm definitely no expert on sustainability and I don't think there is anyone out there who is completely an expert. So as Anne said, let's collaborate, let's work together and let's let's use vehicles, use vehicles like Ball and Doggett or, or Metza Board and, and use these vehicles that can go and source new products and, and, and bring ideas to the table and then work together with that idea to make it come to reality and, and make a difference in the world. Yes, and part of bringing the ideas to the table is is conversations like these. So thank you very much to both of you for joining us to talk about collaboration, to talk about consumer education, about closing the loop and getting us closer towards a circular economy. Thank you. 
Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Brad. And thank you, Lindy. And of course, thank you to the audience. We appreciate you listening to our episodes and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.